The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. We're a little bit, we're a little bit early, but um, I kind of like to have a little time at the end. Um, what I'm going to do here with you today is, is, in my way of thinking, a little bit like preaching to the choir, because you all are women who are obviously. Uh, interested in being involved in the lives of other women, and you probably already are, which is why you're here at this conference. So um, a lot of what I'm going to give you today may be what you can use it for, aside from just uh, edifying yourself and saying, yes, I really am on the right path after all, um, is that you can take it home and use it with your women, just to encourage them to be involved in each other's lives. Um, again, I'm, I'm very con- uh, convinced that the reason you're here is because you already are doing that and you want to get better at it. So you're probably not going to learn anything new from me here today. Um, I do want to encourage you. <coughs> there is an entire generation of young women who basically have grown up without much mothering, right? And, um, and whereas when I was growing up, my kids would say back in the Stone Ages, when I was growing up, um, most everybody I knew had a mom and a dad in the home. And certainly almost all of my siblings, or excuse me, peers, had a mom that did not work, or maybe she did work but just part-time. Um, that is no longer, of course, you know the norm. And so now we're called, uh, I think particularly in this culture, to come alongside other women and seek to keep them, mentor them, discipleship, disciple them, help them, counsel them, be in their lives, do life with them, all of those ways of thinking about that. So saying all that to say if you'd like to take this material and use it in your local church with your women or friends, then that's fine with me. It's not copyrighted material. Um, if you publish it, I might be unhappy, but otherwise just use it <laughs> uh, Use it to encourage the women in your uh, context to be involved in one another's lives. Um, let's pray. Father... Thank you, you have created us as women. (laughs) Thank you for that. And thank you that you have sent your son and that he loves women. Thank you for that. Thank you that he does not look at women and think of us as um, people who are really not very important in the ultimate scheme of the kingdom, but that he, in many ways, over and over and over again, Uh, reaffirmed his love for women, particularly uh, women who were not necessarily the kind of people that that he should have been hanging out with. So thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as women to be willing to be involved in the lives of the women around us and that particularly those of us who are older would not look at this time in our life as a time that we might... um, just sort of relax and back off and take up watercolors. 
but, uh, Lord, that you would help us to love others and pour our lives into them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you're very well aware of the fact that... Uh, and. Um, there, there are a number of reasons why women are not involved in the lives of other women. I just want to touch on them real briefly before we begin. Um, first of all, uh, we most of us live in Southern California, right? And I know what the Southern California lifestyle is. I have lived here my entire life. And it is a lifestyle of running from one event and thing to another all the time, all the time on the move, all the time going. And so many of us, when I have presented this material in churches and I have said, why aren't you involved in the lives of the women in your congregation? Number one answer? Too busy. Too busy. No time. Um, So I, I just want to start out with a little bit of a challenge. I understand about the whole too busy thing. And uh, I live that kind of life myself. Uh, I am involved, however, with women in our home group and trying to maintain that. Um, And so uh, we want to make time for the things that God is calling us to do, no matter what that means. Now, there's also certain times of our life when it's easier to do this than at other times. So if you've got, you know... uh, six-month-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old and a three-year-old and a five-year-old and you're trying to homeschool your seven-year-old, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to do this, which in some ways why, is why I think, and again, just in some ways, why I think Paul is talking in Titus about older women and younger women because we might tend to have a little bit more time. Now, Having said that, I I just have to tell you, if you think you're going to have a lot more time when you get to be (laughs) my age, (laughs) um, maybe not so much. And all the women who are my age say, yeah, that's right, no. Um, So, yes, yes, we're we're all busy, but then there's this other thing, and this this is a little bit of a concern to me, is that, well... um, you know, I've worked really hard in the church, and I've worked in women's ministries, and I've really helped a lot of women in the church and, and all of that, but now I'm a little older, and I'm just going to back off and sort of take up watercolors. Um, to quote John Piper, <laughs> don't waste your life. Okay. Um, the point of your life is is not ever, and, and there's nothing wrong with watercolors. Okay, I'm not, you know, that's wonderful. I and and when I have time, I love to paint, and I have paints, and I love to do that. Um, so I'm I'm not saying don't have a hobby. I'm just saying, you know, there is this generation of women that ha- that are absolutely clueless, and everyone in this room has more than they have, and I don't care if you're a brand new believer. There's a generation of women who go to Dr. Phil and Oprah and who knows who all to get help. And let me just say, I I don't care what you know about the Bible, you know more than they do. Almost all of you. And so I just would encourage you, you know, even if it's just I'm going to get, we're going to get together and have coffee once every two weeks. And don't you love to go to Starbucks and see people with their Bibles open? I mean, it's just... You can see it almost every single time. It's the new, it's the new church. So go to, 
meet somebody someplace and just sit down with the Bible and, and if somebody has a problem and you don't know how to answer it, just say, you know, I don't have a clue. Let's just go pray this week and look and see what the Bible has to say. Okay, so that's my, just my little exhortation to you as a, as a 61-year-old grandma and just spent enough time listening to women and thinking, boy, you have... <laughs> You, don't, you have no foundation. They, these women have no foundation. They have nothing, really nothing. And so what you have is so much more. So I'm going to encourage you, and again, you can use this to encourage other women in your church if you choose to do that. So are you your sister's keeper? Well, quite obviously the answer to that question is yes. And you know this passage from Genesis 4, where that question was first asked, And I'm just going to read that, starting with verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and of course this is after the fall. After the fall. Where God could have just wiped them all out, and instead, Eve gets pregnant and gives birth. Uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a uh, a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel on what he said. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, I, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? as if the Lord didn't know. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now the wonderful news for all of us who have ignored those around us who needed help is the voice of our brother's blood is crying from the ground. And it cries that we are righteous, even though we don't love as we should. So here's the question. Are we... we our sister's keeper. So what was Cain asking? So the word there, actually, for keeper is very interesting. It's a Hebrew word that means to hedge about as with thorns, to guard, to generally protect and attend to. Those are, that's what that Hebrew word means. So, um, you know, when Cain, or excuse me, Adam was supposed to keep the garden he was supposed to guard it this this word's used all over the place in the old testament i want to talk to you about what it means um to hedge about as with thorns in the ancient near east when um shepherds would have their flocks in the evening they would have pens in there you know we don't want to think about like american cattle ranches uh where we have like actual fences they would have sort of pens out on the hill that were made of thorn bushes, all right? And so they would herd the sheep into those pens made of 
thorn bushes that they had gathered. And the really beautiful picture is that the shepherd would lay down at the door. So if something was going to try to get at those sheep, it had to come over the shepherd to get that. And the sheep would have to go over the shepherd to get out. That's where the shepherd would sleep. So you can even from that think about the good shepherd, right? And, and what he's done. So in one sense then, he is, he is guarding us, hedging us about with thorns. So what was Cain asking? Is He was asking, um, am I supposed to guard my brother? Am I supposed to take care of him? Am I supposed to protect him? Am I supposed to lay my life down for him? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to be responsible to keep track of him? And, and in saying that, he was almost also saying to God, isn't that your responsibility? I mean, after all, God, it's your responsibility. Aren't you supposed to keep him? The audacity of, of the question. I think we, we get used to these kinds of things and we, and we sort of, mm, the, shock of, the shock value of what, he's saying is really quite amazing so jesus then is calls himself that good shepherd i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy jesus i came that they may have life and have it abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so yes in a sense yes the Lord Jesus is the one who is responsible to care for the sheep. It is his responsibility, and he is the one that laid down his life at the door of that sheep pen. So God, Jesus, the Son, God the Father, does keep us. And here are just some verses that talk about God keeping us where our word where uh, shamar is actually the, the Hebrew word, that word is used in these verses. So 1 Samuel 2.9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. That's, again, that word, keep, he will guard, he will keep. Now, Wesley, who is my 13-year-old, I have a teenager grandson. Wow, it makes me really old. So um, <laughs> when Wesley was little, like two or three years old, we used to go over here to what was at that time the Orange Street Cafe. Do you know what I mean? That little cafe right there on Orange Street, right off, of, right in between Grand and Second. And, and we would sit outside, my daughter and I, and uh, eat lunch. And, but if you know that area there, um, it's, it's fairly heavily trafficked. And so Wesley, when he was very little, would run up and down the sidewalk. And so here's the street right here, okay? Imagine that. The street is here, and Wesley is here, and he thinks he's autonomous, okay? Because he's two or three, and so he's the king of the world. And, well, he's 13. He still thinks he's the king of the world. (laughs) Maybe even more so now. I don't know. And so, and that wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that I've just spoiled him rotten. Um... So he's running up and down the street here, and what am I doing? I'm not holding on to him. I'm not dragging him. I'm just walking along by him. And he stops and goes the other direction, and I back up. See, so what am I doing? I'm keeping him, keeping his feet 
where they belong, right? And if those little feet go out into the street, I'm there. I'm on him, right? He's not getting past me. Now, of course, the reality is he could get past me. But we can't get past God. <laughs> isn't, that a good, isn't that good news? We don't, we, don't, we don't sort of wander out into the street and God goes, How did that happen? See, that, you know, we, ne- we never have to worry about that. We serve, we serve an attentive, sovereign Father who is always protecting us. He's protecting us. And that doesn't mean that, of, of course that never means that uh, he protects us from all tragedy to what we might call tragedy. It's not that he, not that, uh, he would necessarily call it tragedy. It's not that he always keeps us from suffering. It's just that no suffering comes to us except it first comes through some nail-scarred hands. He understands suffering. And if suffering does come to us, then it comes to us as part of his beautiful plan to give us more of, our, more of himself. Um, and it may come to us in the form of discipline. But I, but I really want you to think, discipline from God never comes to you punitively. It always comes redemptively. It never comes as punishment. It always comes as redemption, that he's giving himself more of you. Why? Because all of the punishment has already been poured out on the sun. He has no more left for you. That's really good news. It's really good news when you walk into a trial. And, uh, and you say, well, well, perhaps there are ways in which I've sinned that sort of precipitated this, but it's not like God is spanking me. It's that he's saying, no, here, let me give you more of myself. And perhaps um, weaning my heart off of idols. So here we have, uh, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. So, you know, just guarding Wesley. Um, Job 10.12, here the word is translated care in the ESV. Your care has preserved my spirit. So Cain is basically asking, um, am I supposed to guard Am I supposed to care? Am I supposed to keep? Uh, Psalm 25.20, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And where's our word there again? It's that guard. See, God, it's God guarding my soul. Um, I don't know what I would do without the doctrines of grace. Because if... My making it all the way to heaven on this journey that I'm on, if my making it there depended upon my strength of character or my faithfulness, I would not make it. I'm just telling you, I I know my heart well enough. If God wasn't guarding my soul, preserving my soul, caring for my soul, protecting my soul, guiding my soul all the time, I would step right out into the traffic and get slammed, spiritually speaking. You understand? So for me, the doctrines of grace are so comforting because I have, even though I've walked with the Lord some 42 years now, um, I, I have come to know, I think at least in part, certainly not fully, come to know at least in part the realities of the weakness of my faith. And he, he guards me, 
And so my soul is in his hands. And do you know what he's doing right now? He's praying for your soul. All the time praying for your soul. And what's he praying? That your faith won't fail. He's always praying for your soul and praying that your faith will never fail. And that prayer always gets answered because he's praying in accord with the will of his Father. Uh, Psalm 145 is our word again. Shamar, the Lord preserves all who love him. Our word there is the word preserves. I'm, I'm just trying to get you a, give you a picture of how rich this word is. Because when we use the word keep, we don't use that word very much, do we? But these other words really help us understand what Cain is asking and, and what God actually is doing in us. So the Lord preserves all who love him. And so um, as we think about our sisters, as we think about one another, as we think about our lives, it's the Lord who's preserving us. Um, First Peter says that he is guarding us and that he's also guarding his inheritance, our inheritance. So he's guarding us. We're not sort of on our own. And then Psalm 146, the Lord watches over. There we go again. That's the same word again, shamar. The Lord shamars the sojourner. And he upholds the widow and the fatherless. You know, whenever the Bible talks about the widow and the fatherless, always talking about those in the culture, in the society, that had no power, no way of protecting themselves. The Lord watches over them. And so then the Lord is watching over his people. Now here's a passage, Psalm 121, where this word is used over and over and over again. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps, there you go, keeps you will not slumber. Isn't it good good to know that God isn't ever asleep at the wheel? Now listen, this is what I know. It is what time? It's 3.20 on uh, Friday afternoon. (laughs) And you have been in meetings uh, last night and today, and it's very, very easy to not off. I was just at, this last weekend, I was at the Gospel Coalition Conference for Women in Orlando, Florida. And that conference from Friday at noon until Saturday night, uh, ending at 9 o'clock, there were 17 sessions. (laughs) And my pal Donna was there with me, and she was sitting kind of on the front row we had little saved places, and she was sitting on the front row corner seat, and she started to just nod off, right? And she's falling. She's going to fall off her chair onto the floor. At the last minute, she wakes herself up, and she sits up, you know, and then by then you got enough adrenaline, you're going to make it through the, make it through the end, right? See, you and I might fall asleep. You might fall asleep now. God never sleeps. He never, ever sleeps. And so when we're talking about keeping one another, um, we talk about it in the context of what God is already doing. You see, God uses means. He does use means. But God also is in charge of this. He is watching over us. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your 
keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you. You hear this uh, refrain? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Who's keeping you? Now, in, in light of the fact, well, now, you know that wasn't very good, so come on. Who's keeping you? Okay, good. So, in light of the fact that the Lord is keeping you, and the Lord is keeping the sisters around you in your church, the Lord is doing that, um, we can rest confidently that we don't have to hold it all. And I know some of you are ministry leaders, women's ministry leaders in charge of different things in the churches, uh, pastors, wives, I understand that. You know, it's not all on you. And that's good news too. The Lord is keeping his people. He has promised to do so. He will not slumber nor sleep. He will keep us. He uses means, but he does keep us. And in case you think, well, perhaps that's just Old Testament, here we go. Here's Jesus in John 17, most beautiful prayer. You know, if, you, if you're wondering, uh, I got six months now, I think I'm going to study some passage in the scripture. Take apart John 17. Uh, a shocking, shocking prayer. Um, Jesus said, talking to his father right before the crucifixion, And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Did you, ever, did you ever go home after being gone for on a long trip and you just couldn't wait to get there? And the sort of happiness of, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to get home. That's what he's doing right here. Holy Father, and what does he pray for his disciples and for us by extension? Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, what was he doing? I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. It's an interesting same language. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So here's Jesus and he's talking to the father and he's praying, Father, keep them. I have kept them. I haven't lost them. I've only lost the one, and that was because that was scripture to be fulfilled. And then he goes on in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that's us now, but that you do what? Keep them from the Holy One. So you see this idea of being one another's keeper. You know, we don't use that word very much. We think about zookeepers and stuff like that. But that word keeper has got a very rich Uh, scriptural heritage. Jesus is praying, keep them. Now, if Jesus prays to the Father, keep them from the evil one, he will keep you from the evil one. He will do it. So, in one sense, God the Father, God the Son, through the Spirit, are working to keep us, to preserve us, to watch over us, to care for us, to guard us. He is working to do that in our lives um, and has done so all throughout history. He has always kept his beloved. Listen, what kind of husband would he be not to keep you? 
you know, not to guard you, not to care for you. He's a, he is a good husband to us. And so because he is doing that, and that is his ongoing ministry through the Spirit in our lives, we, we can have confidence when we enter into one another's lives that the Lord may be using us as the means to do that thing he's promised to do. So we are also then, we are to keep one another. So the Father is keeping me, and because the Father is keeping me, that's really interesting, the implications of that. Because the Father is keeping me, then I don't have to be really, really focused on making sure that I got everything I need. I can pour my life out into other people because God, I know God has got it for me. He's caring for me. See, I can... I can be means that he will use in your life. How many times in your life when you were really struggling spiritually did someone come up to you and just say, I'm praying for you, or can we go for coffee? Can we, can we talk? Can I just spend some time with you? I just want you to know I care for you. How many, how many of you have ever had something like that happen? Okay, It's shocking the power that happens in that, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's amazing how much power that is. Now, you don't have to have a NANC certificate to do that, <laughs> right? There was a time in my life when uh, I was struggling horrifically, didn't even know, it was very early on in my Christian experience, didn't even know if I wanted to continue being a believer or not. And someone came to me, actually, it was Phil before we were married, and Phil came to me and he said, I wanted you to know so-and-so was praying for you today. That turned me around. God used just those, just those simple little words to turn me around. And so, again, uh, it, it doesn't have to be great, deep, um, full-on three trees counseling. And I love the whole three-tree paradigm. I think it's wonderful. It's great. But, you know, you don't even need that, really. You just come up to your sister and say, Hey, you know, I've noticed you've been crying, and I want you to know I love you, and if you want to get together, I'd love to do that. I mean, what does that do? It's just it's marvelous. Just those words, what that does. You know, go, go go spend 45 minutes and talk to somebody. Now, of course, it can be much deeper than that and perhaps should be in some ways a lot deeper than that, but it doesn't have to be. So listen to this um, from Matthew Henry, which actually, you know, Matthew Henry was a Puritan, so we're not talking about stuff that's going on in our age. We're talking about uh, stuff that was going on in the 1600s, 1700s. A charitable concern for our brethren as their keepers is a great duty, which is strictly required of us, but is generally neglected by us. Now, you see, I started off our talk today by saying to you, why don't you do this? And you said, I'm busy. See, this is the, it's the same old thing. Nothing new. Southern California isn't all that different from England in the 1600s. Okay? We all have reasons why we neglect our obligation to love each other. but it's generally neglected by us. Those who are unconcerned in the affairs of their brothers or sisters and take no care when they have opportunity to prevent their hurt in their bodies, goods, or good name. That's interesting, isn't it? 
to prevent their hurt in their bodies, goods, or good name. See, I, I, maybe I see you sort of slipping a little. And it looks like you used to always come to ladies' Bible study, but you're not coming very much anymore, and you're starting to slide. Now, what am I going to do there? Am I gonna, <laughs> just going to say, well, yeah, I'm really busy. I can't take care of her. Every little Tom, Dick, and Harry's got a problem. Right there. <laughs> so starting to slide, am I going to seek to prevent your hurt? So just, you know, step in. And you, you might get rebuffed, but, you know, you're not the first person that's ever been rebuffed. You might get rebuffed, or the person might say, you know, I just, I, I didn't know how to tell anybody, but this is what's going on in my home, and I don't even know if I can keep going to church. So many times, women in church think that all the other women in church have their act together. I do my best to tear that picture down. <laughs> And, you know, we all go to Bible study and everybody's there and they've got their Bible study all done and there I am and I don't have his thing. And, you know, that. So, hey, you know, I'm, just like, I'm just like you. So, when they have opportunity to prevent their hurt in their bodies, goods, or good name, especially in their souls, do in effect speak Cain's language. Now, listen, if that's what was going on in the 1700s, what do you think is going on here and now? It's like, really? Tough luck. You made your bed? Sleep in it. That attitude, and it is such an American attitude, if you will. It's so, it's so intrinsically, give me my independence. It is that, it's that American, I'm an individual, I'm not going to get enmeshed in anybody else's junk, that whole thing. That is so... It's, it just flies right in the face of the picture of the, New, of the New Testament church, which is a family. And what families always do is get in each other's lives. I mean, if it's a good family, I was poking around in each other's lives. That's, that's normal. It's good. We need each other. Um, but, you know, we, we, you know, it's like I'm not really comfortable with her. She asked me too many questions. And you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about being like rude or anything, but there has to be at some point in which we're stepping into other people's lives and letting other people step into our lives. Because how are you going to keep me if you don't know what's going on in my life and in my heart? Now, in the context in my church where we are, we have gospel communities, <coughs> which is really good because there's no way in the world I can do this with, I mean, we have four or 500 people who come to our church and there's no way in the world I can do this with all of those people. I can't do it. But I can do it in my gospel community. So here's a group of maybe 10 or 15 people, and we're in each other's lives. And that's, that's a really good thing, and it needs to happen. So I'm not saying to you, you know, you've got to look over the whole congregation and figure out the 25 people you're going to be involved with. Ask the Lord to show you a few and then seek to develop relationship over time. And, and a lot of times you just you need history with people in order to be able to step into their lives. Um, so let's look at some passages then that, to sort of talk about this ministry. Uh, Romans 15, uh, this is not all of 1 through 4, but this is part of it. 
We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm, I think I'm going to read just like that whole passage right there. Yes, and maybe I will. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Can I tell you, and I don't mean to be rude, because I'm speaking to myself as well. The reason you're not involved with other people and bearing with their, their weaknesses is because you're pleasing yourself. And quite frankly, it's much easier for me to hang out with a whole bunch of women who are strong and who really don't have any problems to speak of. And, and you know, it's not, there's not a problem with hanging out with your friends, but, I mean, do you, do you purposely seek out the weak and spend time with them? See, that's what Jesus did, by the way. Sought out the weak. Let, us pl- let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? For Christ did not please himself. Do you really think that what Jesus wanted to do, were it not for his love for his bride, was come here and hang out with a bunch of smelly people in the Middle East? I mean, you know, not trying to be mean to people from the Middle East. I'm just saying, it's different than heaven. (laughs) Right? It's different. He didn't just please himself. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I identify myself with your weakness. That's what he was doing. He was identifying himself with the weakness of his people. Even to the point, of course, that he took on human flesh. Identifying himself with the weak. So our care for one another flows out of Christ's care for us. He was strong but became weak for us. I am more and more convinced, and part of that has to do with the fact I'm getting ready to write on this, I am more and more convinced that a lot of what we need to spend time thinking about has to do with the incarnation, Jesus being one with us, and what that means. Listen, here's uh, Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Now, I'm going to back up, because this really, really... Um, speaks to what we're looking at here. Verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah, but I want to hang out with all my fun friends, and I want to be with all the strong people, and I want to, you know, that. I want to please myself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So who did that? Have this mind among yourselves, this mind of looking to the interests of others, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if you want to know what keeping looks like, that's what it looks like. Now, of course, of course, I'm not going to... I'm not the second person in the Trinity, although sometimes I think I am. Um, I'm not... I'm not, I, I, I'm not bowing myself, submitting myself in the same way he did, but there are ways in which, uh, and, and don't you see it in your own heart, I want to hang out with the people that are sort of strong and easy and have their life together and, and kind of really like me, and I don't have to work really hard, and it's just sort of fun. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. See, those are the people I want to spend time with. But that's not how he was. Because, I mean, the news is, he wouldn't have wanted to spend time with us. Were it not for his love. So he condescends. So he bore with the failings of the weak. He bore with the failings of his weak mother. Think about that. He goes to Jerusalem with his family as a child... And uh, they go up to the, for the feast. And the family leaves in a caravan on their way back. And um, Joseph and Mary think he's hanging out with his cousins or his brothers or somebody somewhere else. And they find out he's not there. So then they go back to Jerusalem. And they're searching all over the city for three days. Have you thought about that? I mean, there he is. He's 12 years old in a city of millions of people. Who are all there for the feast and Mary and Joseph finally discover him in the temple I'm pretty sure that the way that they approached him was not honey you know we've been le- looking for you these three days why would you treat us like this pretty sure that's not what they did right I mean just frantic and the most amazing thing is, really, you, oh, so you wouldn't have known that this is where I would be. See, Jesus is still growing in his wisdom and understanding. Oh, so you didn't know. See, right then, right then, he's putting up with the failings of the weak. His weak mom. His weak dad. He's putting up. And, and he doesn't just say, well, you know what? Uh, I figured out that I'm God. <laughs> And so, you know, you came and gave me that little cuff on the ear just saying, well, you know, do you have any idea what I could do to you right now? <laughs> See, he puts up with the failings of the weak. And he doesn't just do that as a child with his parents. He does it over and over and over and over all along his entire life, putting up with the failings of the weak. I am really terrible at that, putting up with the failings of the weak. And I kind of think, you know, come on. We've been on this path together for 40 years. You still don't... Really? He did not please himself. He took our reproach upon himself. He identifies with us primarily on the cross. See, all of the reproach that should have been yours was his. Now, if that doesn't make you... If that doesn't somehow... As you sort of marinate your heart in that, if that doesn't sort of make you want to spend time with other people, I just don't know what will. 
he took your reproach upon himself. And so because of that, then you, you go and be with people who you normally wouldn't be with. He's not merely ex- our example. Here's the good news. He's also our righteousness. And that, that is the good news. Please don't ever tell me that Jesus is my example if you don't also tell me he's my righteousness. Because if he's just my example, I'm, I'm had. Because I got nothing. You know, you say, go be, go be like Jesus. He's your example. Okay, well, that's wonderful. He's also your righteousness even when you don't. So what I don't want to do with you right now is pile all sorts of guilt on you and stuff. I'm, I'm just telling you, he's your righteousness. So live in the light of that. It's really beautiful. He's already done it all. Walk in it. Um, because we have his righteous record, because we've been completely forgiven and welcomed, we're now free to care for others and let them care for us. I think in some ways... It's much easier for me to care for you than it is to let you care for me. Right? Do you understand? So we like being the, you know, I'm, I'm the strong nurturer in control person. And so I'm going to pour out my life before you. But I'm real uncomfortable with you doing that for me. So may, may God give us grace to be humble and receive help from people. So... What does it mean, then, that we are completely forgiven and welcomed? I'm completely forgiven, and I'm completely welcomed. What does that mean? That means, first of all, that I'm free to admit my sin. I'm free to be able to say to you, I need help, please help me. I can admit my sin. I am also free, then, to associate with sinners, because I'm not Mrs. Righteous Church Lady. I mean, I'm righteous because of justification. But I'm not, you know, Mrs. Perfect who can only hang out with perfect people. Which, by the way, be careful here because I'm tired. (laughs) God calls us to be in relationship with people, not to move into a little house on the prairie. As if... You move into a little house on the prairie because there won't be any sinful influences there. Excuse me, what are you going to do? Leave your heart somewhere else? (laughs) The sinful influence is in you. There's that wonderful movie by M. Night Shyamalan and Ding Dong. I can never say his name right. (laughs) The Village. Okay. Um, Marvelous movie. Marvelous movie about the fact that you can build a I don't want to spoil the movie in case any of you are ever going to see it, but I'll spoil it anyway. Um, you can build a society where what you're doing is trying to keep the evil out and you cannot do it because the evil is in. Because you're there. Marvelous movie. So then, I'm free to associate with sinners because I don't have to worry about being with somebody who might make me sinful. Because I already am, right? So I can, I, and I don't have to worry about my reputation anymore, which, by the way, is a really nice thing. To be freed from having to worry about my reputation and whether or not people think I'm the cat's meow. 
I don't like cats. I don't know why anybody ever says that. But <laughs> if you like a cat, sorry. <laughs> okay? So I'm, I'm free then to just hang out with sinners, with the weak. You know what's really interesting? You know the people, when you look at the Gospels, the people that Jesus loved, seemed to really love hanging out with. What kind of people were they? Okay, here we go. going to say something because I want to shock you a little. Crack ho. Okay, see, because I can say, well, Jesus, Jesus received the immoral women, the immoral woman. And that doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever, immoral woman. <laughs> He's sitting at a table in Simon the religious Pharisee's house. Clean guy. He's the clean guy. Jesus is sitting there having dinner. Simon has asked him to dinner. Crack ho comes in. Falls at his feet. His feet are behind him. He's leaning forward. Falls at his feet, weeping, kissing his feet. He's receiving the kisses of a whore. I want you to get this. See, we somehow wrongly think that... In order for us to be godly, we have to never associate with ungodly people. If you're not going to associate with ungodly people, you're going to have to go out of the world. Jesus loved hanging around with sinners because he was a friend of sinners. That's who he was called to. And you see, so this frees me. It frees me from my slavery to my own reputation. I don't want to be seen with him. Really? Why not? He was seen with you. You think that you you think being seen with them is bad? You get this? We are free then to live selflessly. How come? How can we be free to live selflessly? Because we already have everything we need. See, I don't need to puff myself up. By hanging out with all the strong, groovy, in-crowd, click, whatever that happens to be in your context, I don't have to do that. Why? Because I'm Jesus' friend. So I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about that anymore. What does anybody think of me? Am I hanging around with all the cool people? Or, you know, however that is in your context. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can live selflessly. Why? Because I already have relationship with the only guy in the whole world that it matters. And he has said that he loves me and that he's given me everything that I need and that he's guarding me and caring for me and protecting me. So, you know, I can go and hang out with the crack hoe. Sorry, but you understand. And... I am free then from all comparison, alienation, jealousy, selfish ambition, man-pleasing, fear, and self-condemnation. Can I tell you, those are the real reasons why we don't hang out with other people. Oh, I don't know. I get around. I'm just too... I'll just tell you, you know, we we all feel alienation. How many of you in this room have ever felt alienation and isolation, like you just sort of don't fit in? 
Okay, y'all need to look around. Leave your hands up. Okay? Now, you know, if we all feel that way, I mean, isn't, doesn't that say something to you? See, sin has done that. That's what sin does. And your enemy, the devil, loves to tell you, you don't fit in. All these other women, they fit in. They fit in. You don't fit in. It's just a lie. It's a lie. We all struggle with that. The reality is, well, maybe I fit in and maybe I don't. But the truth is, Jesus has called me his friend and he's my husband and he's made me part of his church, his body, his bride. I am part of what he is doing in his kingdom in this world. So I'm in the in crowd no matter if I have a ton of friends or not. So then that makes me free to not have to worry about whether or not somebody, you know, somebody has some party and I didn't get invited to it. And so I'm just not going to talk to anybody anymore. It was like seventh grade, you know, really. You know, I'm so, I'm so amazingly petty that somebody, I can find out that somebody's having a party and I can know I wouldn't have gone to it and still be mad I didn't get invited. Right? Jealousy. How come she likes her better than she likes me? See, the only reason we ask questions like that is because we're still horsing around with trying to find our identity and hoping that we have the right friends and those friends are going to give us an identity. You have an identity. You have been chosen by God and loved by Him and adopted in everything we talked about yesterday. So I don't have to be jealous of you anymore and I don't have to step on you to try to make other people think I'm wonderful. No more selfish ambition. I can just lay my life down. Why? Because I already have everything. And man-pleasing. Do you ever walk away from a conversation and say, Oh, why did I say that? Why did I say that? I wish I wouldn't have said that. Oh, that was really, really stupid. I can't believe I said that. Maybe not exactly like that, but something like it. Yes? Okay, so we all do, right? So I don't have to worry about what you think of me anymore because the Bible's already said everything you need to know about me, the Bible has already said about me. And, and the Bible has said it publicly. I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. I'm more loved and welcome than I ever dared hope. That's all you need to know about me. And that's the exact truth. So am I going to say stupid stuff to you? Yes, of course. <laughs> the days that I go through a conversation without sticking my foot in my mouth is... Is an astonishing, wonderful, good day. <laughs> of course I'm going to say stupid stuff. Of course I am. Of course you are too. So let's stop horsing around here. Okay? Stop playing. Fear and self-condemnation. So, see, I don't, I don't have to play that who's in the in crowd? Am I hanging around with the good people? Am I spending enough time caring for myself? You know, it's like the... Stupid world is always saying, take time for yourself. Really? I mean, haven't you spent enough time? It's like, I'm, dude, I'm 61, and you know, I think it's enough. Really, it's enough. Oh, well, you got to take time for yourself. Right. Every facet of the gospel illumines and empowers us to love one another. So the incarnation, Jesus Christ the second person of this trinity takes to himself in the womb of Mary a human body. 
takes it, the Word, the incarnate Word, takes to himself a human body and suffers in the exact same way you do from birth to death. He lives a sinless life in your place. So from birth to death, what is he doing? He's fulfilling the law for you. Perfectly fulfilling the law to love his neighbor for you because you don't and you won't. Not perfectly. And he does it for you. So then you're free to seek to do it. And then, of course, he takes upon himself that substitutionary death whereby God's wrath is poured out for him for all the time you snub somebody. Did you ever snub anybody? Ever sort of walk away? (coughs) Turn away? Sorry, don't have time for you? Gossip? Talk about somebody else? See somebody struggling? Ooh, no, not going to get myself dirty there. All of that, Jesus Christ took his Father's wrath upon his body on the tree for you and cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Get this, so that God the Father and God the Son would never forsake you. Therefore, do not forsake your sisters. See how it connects? And then, you know, of course he rises bodily, still in human form, Uh, still in human form, and in doing so brings justification to you so that you are completely righteous in God's sight and is now, and then ascends bodily, ascends bodily, still in human form, by the way, where he is now still in human form. Not just 33 years of identifying with the losers, but still in human form. Jesus Christ is ruling as king A man is ruling as king of the universe right now. Jesus Christ. In human flesh. And he's interceding for you and someday he'll come back. And when he does, that sky that you see out there, he's going to take it and he's going to tear it like a piece of paper. And you'll see him and everything you ever wanted to see in your whole life, everything you ever longed for, everything you ever desired will be bundled up right there and your heart will be transformed and purified immediately. And then you'll love your sisters. (laughs) Okay, so finishing up now. How would really believing the gospel free you to love and keep your sisters? Well, do you struggle, and we talked about this, with sinful comparing, feelings of alienation, jealousy, selfish ambition, man-pleasing fear, self-condemnation, You just say, Lord, help me, please. Show me. Show me why I don't love my sisters. And help me to love them. Pour my life out for them, with them. Think about think about those things. I want you to I want you to consider them. I know you're tired and uh, you may or may not be able to do that right now, but at some point over the next couple of days, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and show you the places on that list. What are the things on that list that stop you? You notice I didn't put busyness on the list. I don't want people to get too close to me because if they get too close to me, then they'll see, they'll see me for what I am. I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, I... I'm not I'm not sure if they I'm not sure if they see me that they'll really still like me. See it doesn't really matter though, does it? Doesn't matter. 
<clears throat> okay, so then. Caring for others begins with your own transparency. And what I've tried to do for you and what I do try to do, God being my helper, and I always, of course, give myself the benefit of the doubt, but uh, I, I try to be transparent. I want to be transparent because I want you to know that I'm just like you. And that is the message you need to take to other women. Because every woman in this room thinks that everybody else is different than they are. So you just come and say, no, it's just like you. And you know what? Doesn't that sort of disarm you? And just make you just feel like, oh, all right, well, then I don't have to pretend. And I can just love people and lay down my life and it'll all be fine. It'll be okay. He's got it. Caring for others begins with your own transparency. Because there's nothing that's much more irritating than somebody coming to you sort of all wrapped up in their own self-righteousness trying to help you. It's like, really? Thank y'all. Thank (laughs) y'all. So confess your own weaknesses and sins to one another and ask for prayer and accountability. Yeah. We're out of time, and I, you know, and I know you're really tired, and it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you want to go eat dinner. But at some point, at some point, before this whole gig's over, if you're here with women, other women, would you take some time and do this? Okay? So confess. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of selfish. I don't really want to be with people. I want to hang out with people who I think are sort of up here on this, on this sphere, on this level. I don't want to hang around with these people. You know, just do that and pray for each other. Okay? It's it's the beginning. So I'll pray for you now. Father, thank you that in Christ we have everything we need to love each other. And in all the ways that we failed to do so, we thank you that Jesus Christ has done that perfectly in our place. Lord Jesus, give us a heart for sisters, for our sisters. Help us to love them, to lay down our lives for them to seek to bless them, to live transparently, wisely, joyously because of what you've done. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.